Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning, and if you're, especially if you're a first-time guest, we're glad you're here this morning. Hopefully, if you are a first-time guest, one thing we want you to know before you leave today is that we are a church that truly likes to make a really big deal out of the only one that can change and save our lives, and that's Jesus. I hope you get that this morning. And so if you believe that, say amen this morning. Make a big deal of him. And so today we are in a series called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals everything. And hopefully as we've navigated through this series and if we kind of walk through this thing, what we figured out and hopefully what we're able to say with our hearts and our minds and meet with the depth of our being is this, is that Jesus really is enough. And right? He's enough because of who he is. First of all, who is Jesus? Well, he's supreme. He's sovereign. He's superior over everything, but not just because of who Jesus is, but also because of what Jesus has done for us. A few weeks back ago, we talked about what Jesus has done for us. He's changed us. He's forgiven us. He's accepted us, and he's given us the victory. And so when you think about who Jesus is and you think about what he's done for us, the conclusion we can come to is that Jesus really is enough. Amen? He's enough. No matter what you're pursuing, what you're looking for, peace, hope, joy, whatever you're out there looking for, Jesus is enough for us. Now, what's interesting is the enemy doesn't want us to buy into that. The enemy doesn't want us to embrace that basic truth. And so what does the enemy do? The enemy comes at us in a variety of different ways. One way that we've seen in the book of Colossians is by trying to inundate the church with worldly philosophies. Philosophies that try to enslave us, like try to hold us back. Philosophies that, that try to impose on us, maybe rituals or regulations, things that we have to do in order to be right with God, or philosophies that just simply try to defraud us. They try to tell us they can do some things which they cannot do at all. And so this church of Colossae was filled with these kind of philosophies. And I told you this a couple weeks ago, I think the church of today is filled with the same kind of attack from the enemy. The same kind of philosophies he throws at them, he throws at us too. Philosophies like legalism, that you must perform in order to be accepted by God. Philosophies like asceticism, that hey, the body doesn't matter, so abuse the body and the spirit's all that matters, which is wrong, and we don't see that in the truth of the gospel at all, are philosophies like mysticism that somehow we can pursue and seek a higher religious experience. Listen, there's only one religious experience I need, and that's to meet with my Savior every time. That's it. I don't need the angel's help. I just need Jesus. That's all I need. And so the philosophies like that, that try to invade our church and to get us to a point where they enslave us, they impose on us, and they ultimately defraud us. And as we went through those philosophies, what we saw the Apostle Paul say was this, that all these philosophies are deficient. All these worldly philosophies, while they make some promises, every single one of them fall short. And that truly Jesus is the only one can meet the needs of what you're looking for. And so today as we jump into Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to see Paul begin to shift the narrative a little bit. He begins to walk away from the philosophies and addressing those, and he begins to talk about what does it mean as a believer. Now that we know that Jesus is sufficient, now that we know that the worldly philosophies are deficient, they're not, they're not good, they don't they're, do us more harm, they're, they're not of any help to us, of no value, Paul says, then now that we realize that, how can we now live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. A life where we are truly embracing the truth that Jesus is enough. And what we're going to find out in the passage today is there's three things that we have to keep in check in our lives if we're able to embrace this truth that Jesus really is enough. So if you would stand with me and honor reading God's word, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 as I read. It says this, 
and the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for this time we have together today. I thank you that we just spent some really valuable moments just elevating and lifting up the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we begin this passage that we will continue to see how much our eyes, our focus, our attention, and our affection need to be on King Jesus. So God, be with us today. May your word speak truth into our lives. And it's your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, there are three things that we're going to have to keep in check if we're going to really be able to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough. And the first one's found in verse 1. Look what he says here. If you then, I'm sorry, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, the first thing that Paul tells us is one of the first things we have to keep in check is we've got to keep in check our hearts. If we're really going to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough, we've got to keep our hearts in check. Now, did you notice there that this, in this phrase that he says, seek things that are above? Did you notice that phrase there? Now, I want to break this down a little bit. I know you're going to think, hey, Doug, you're splitting hairs because you're talking about one word. Well, one word matters. You hopefully know that, right? Yeah. One word matters. And so well, the word seek there is a crucial word in the text because the word seek could also be uh, translated as pursue. So pursue things that are above. Now, what's Paul getting at? He says, I want you to seek some things. In other words, I want you to pursue some things in your life. Now, where does the things we pursue come from? It comes from our heart, right? Husbands, when you pursued your wife, why did you pursue her? And don't give me an answer that I'm going to want to rebuke you later for, right? Why did you pursue her? And the answer would, don't say money. That was not the right answer, right? So why did you pursue her? Come on, come on. Husbands, if it takes you time to tell me this, you're going to have marriage counseling later. So tell me, why did you pursue her? One of you got it. So you, because you love her, right? I think it was Elijah. He's only been married a year. So he got it, right? And so you love her. You pursued them because you what? You love them. You did, I mean, you did things in your dating life that you sure haven't done in your married life. And I felt guilty to that too. You wooed them and you opened the door for them and you did all this. I mean, you pursued them the best way you knew how. Why? Because you love them, right? And when you pursue them, you pursued them with the intent of eventually catching them, right? That was the whole point. And so while we know Paul is going to tell us, and we just read it, while Paul tells us what we're to pursue, we have to pause and think about this word seek for just a moment. Because literally what Paul is addressing here is that the, this notion of seeking speaks to the heart of pursuing, pursuing things of the heart. So we've got to pause and go, I've got to check the affections of my heart. What holds the affections of my heart? What holds the loyalties of my heart? What holds the devotion of my heart? So if I'm going to seek things that are above, I've got to start with seeking what currently in my life holds my greatest affections. What holds my loyalties? What holds my devotions? What am I longing for like nothing else? What do I desire more than anything else? What in the world am I pursuing above everything else in my life? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it power? Is it pleasure? I mean, we've got to come to a place this morning that we're willing to ask this question. Is the affection of my heart, do I have the affection of my heart? Have I given it to things of the world? Or does the affection of my heart belong to Christ? 
Now, I know that's an easier answer to answer than it really is if you thought about it. Because many of us would immediately go, what's the Christ? Well, think about it. Think about your schedule. Think about how you spend your time. Think about what matters to you. Think about what dictates your schedule. I mean, the thing that we've got to ask ourselves is the affections of my heart, the thing that I'm pursuing over everything else, my devotion, my loyalty, does it belong to things of this world? Or does it belong to Christ? So for me, as I was reading this several weeks ago, that word seek was a word of caution for me. A word that I need to pause and I need to take some moments to examine my heart. Moments ago, where does Doug's affections belong over everything else? And see, some of you, I know what some of you are thinking, well, you know what, I'm all good. I know where my, I'm all good, Doug. I know, listen, if we refuse to examine ourselves, listen, we will stop growing spiritually. If you refuse to examine your own life, look in the mirror, ask the hard questions, answer the hard questions, you will spiritually die on the vine. You will stop growing spiritually. And if we choose to not ask the questions and truly examine ourselves, guess what? We will get to that place where we will start following the desires of the flesh and it will lead us down a path of sin. So I'm asking with this word seek, what Paul's saying is what are you pursuing in your life? Before we talk about what we need to pursue, what are you pursuing? What has the affection, devotion, and loyalty of your heart this morning? And then Paul obviously tells us what we need to be pursuing. He says this, seek things that where are where? That are above. Seek the things that are above. Well, that's a bit abstract, isn't it, right? Above could be a lot of things. So let's define a little bit. We know through, if you take the totality of Scripture, probably what Paul's talking about, he's talking about seeking heavenly things over earthly things, right? He's talking about seeking eternal things over temporal things. But what does that mean? Well, Doug, isn't eternal things like, you know, people are eternal. There are two things that will last forever, the souls of man and the word of God. So if people are eternal, shouldn't I invest in people? So if I invest in people trying to share with them the good news of Christ, is it possible then that I'm, in, I'm investing in and, and looking to eternal things? Well, that's a great answer. And yes, this is the answer to that. Well, Doug, what about, what about heavenly things? What does that mean? Well, could it just simply mean, Doug, that maybe I need to make sure that I'm looking to the things that, that honor God, that the way that God wants me to live, the will of God, and making sure that I'm pursuing those things? Absolutely, it means those things. But I think there's a deeper meaning here that Paul's trying to set up for us that maybe most of us have missed in our adult Christian life. Because he adds a phrase here that he doesn't add anywhere else in this passage. He says, I want you to, because he could have just said, I want you to seek the things that are above and then go on to and set your minds on the things above. But he doesn't do that. He says, I want you to seek the things above where Christ is seated. And I believe it's that phrase that gives us an indicator of what it means to seek the things that are above. Because who lives above? Jesus does, right? So when we seek the things that are above, who are we looking to? These are not trick questions. Who are we looking to? Jesus, right? So what is Paul trying to get at here? Well, I believe with all of my heart, Paul is saying is that when you seek things above, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to look to the attributes that Jesus has, the characteristics of Jesus, and I want you to pursue them with a desire to attain them in your own life. Like Jesus' kindness, his forgiveness, his love. I want you to look to him, and I want you to pursue the things you see in the life of Christ, his attributes and characteristics, and I want you to, to pursue them with a desire to, uh, to, to grab a hold of those and make those part of your life. Why? Because when I take the attributes of Jesus and I make them part of my life, guess what? I begin to look more like who? Jesus. And isn't the chief pursuit of every believer 
to be conformed to the image of Christ? Isn't that our cheap pursuit? Amen? And so I believe with all my heart when Paul says, I want you to seek the things above where Christ is seated, he says, listen, I want you to look to Jesus. When you seek the things above, yes, there's eternal things. Invest in eternal things. He tells us that in Matthew. Yes, the heavenly thing is God's will. Yes, 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 yes to all that. But more importantly, I want you to focus in on Jesus. I want the affections of your heart to be pursuing him, pursuing his attributes, pursuing his characteristics, and taking those and making them your own so that you can look more like him. That's what I want you to do. Now, that to me, that is a profound truth that maybe I've never seen before in this passage, that I need to pursue things above where Christ is. Why? Because what am I ultimately pursuing? Him. I'm pursuing him. And if you believe that this morning, church, say amen. amen. Now, one that I find very interesting in this passage, this phrase, to seek things above, in the Greek language, it's in a tense called the imperative, and it means this. It means it's not a request, it's a command. So Paul is not requesting that they start seeking things above. He's commanding them to start seeking things above. And notice he's saying, listen, guys, I want you to take the affections that you have for this world, and I want you to take it off the world, and I want you to give it to Christ. I want you to take the love and devotion you feel to the things of this world, and I want you to take it away from the world, and I want you to put it on Christ. I want you to seek and pursue putting all your affections on him. May the world own none of our affections. May the world own none of our loyalties. May the world own none of our devotion. May it all belong to Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. So he says, listen, if we're going to live this life to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough, you know where it begins? By keeping this bad boy in check. Because listen, when we don't keep our heart in check and we let our affections run wild, and we start loving the things of this world. You know what John says in 1 John? He says, if you love the things of this world, the love of the Father is not in you. That if we become so in love with things of the world, that is not evidence of salvation. That's an evidence that we are lost. And if we let the affections of this world take over our loyalty, take over our devotion, instead of giving them to Christ, it will take us down a path we don't want to go down. So if we're going to be able to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough, it starts with keeping our hearts in check, making sure that our affections, loyalties, and devotions belong to him. The second thing he says is found in verse 2. He says this, set your mind <clears throat> on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. So he says the second thing you have to do is not only keep your heart in check, you've got to keep your mind in check. Now, I love the wordplay here, and I'm kind of geeked out at this stuff, so just forgive me, but follow me for a moment. I love this stuff because in the first verse, he says, seek, right? That speaking to our pursuits. Here he doesn't say seek, he says set, which speaks to our focus. And the first part, he, he doesn't, he's talking about that we need to check the affection of our heart. Here he's saying, you need to check the attention of your mind. So what does he say? I want you to set your mind on things above. In other words, church, what are you focused on? What, not, just forget your affections for a moment. What are you focused on? If obviously, if your affections belong to this world, what are you going to be focused on? The things of this world. If your affections belong to Christ, what are you going to be focused on? Him, right? And so he says, listen, what are you focused on? Are you focused on the temporary earthly things? Are you focused on the eternal heavenly being of Jesus? What are you focused on? Now, the idea of being, uh, setting our minds, he's literally what he's saying is set your mind on things above. He's saying, I want you to resolve in your hearts that you are going to be more eternally minded. I want you to resolve in your hearts that you are going to think more deeply about eternal things. Now, just a quick question. 
Do we oftentimes think deeply about eternal things? Come on, just think about it. Do we? Maybe some of you do. Think about heaven very much? The older I get, the more I think about it. Right? You think, you think about what Jesus will look like? Well, Revelation chapter 1 gives us a glimpse of that, and I love going to Revelation 1. Or do we find ourselves being inundated and thinking about the bills that have got to be paid, the car that's got to be serviced, the kids have got to have things paid for, and by all means, we've got to actually feed them too. And so we've got all these things that we're thinking about. He's like, listen, I want you to commit to thinking deeply and thoroughly about eternal things. Now, let me tell you why that matters. Because in Romans 8, Paul tells the church of Rome this. He said, listen, if the, if the mind is set on the flesh, it will act accordingly. And if the mind is set on the spirit, it will act accordingly. In other words, if your mind is focused on the fleshly, worldly things, you're going to act like the world. And if your mind is set on the spirit of God, doing what God wants you to do, you're going to act like Christ. And then in Romans 12, Paul tells us that the only way for transformation to happen is by the renewing of our what? Our mind, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation begins with the renewing of our noggins, right? That's where it begins. And then we go into Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, whatever's praiseworthy, think on such things. So what we think about matters, right? It matters. And so Paul says, listen, I want you to set your minds on things above. I want you to think about eternal things. Now, you may say, well, Doug, how do I do that? How can I truly set my mind on eternal things? Well, let me give you a way. One way you can do that is by making sure that you are dwelling and thinking on the eternal word of God. Listen, if this is not part of your life, that is a problem. And I'm not just talking about reading, going to check a box, going, hey, I read the Bible. I'm talking about reading it, meditating on it, chewing on it, praying about it, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to you that you maybe you never thought of before, asking people that you love and trust, hey, man, what is God really, what, what is Paul really saying here? I mean, we need to make sure if we're going to renew our minds, if we're going to make sure that our minds are on things above, we need to dwell on the eternal word of God. Amen? We need to dwell on it. And as we dwell on it, we take the truths of the word of God and we apply it to our lives. And then listen to this. And as we apply it to our lives, our life will bear evidence of what we are dwelling on. Are you with Did you follow that one? I dwell on the eternal word of God. I take the truths and I apply it to my life. And then my life will bear evidence of what my mind has been dwelling on. I don't know about you, but I've been around some men before. Like, I, I used to coach football, and I love coaching football. I love being around those men. But there were some guys that I was around coaching football. And can I just say, they love just telling off-color jokes all the time. You've been around somebody like that? Hopefully not in church. But you've been around people like that, right? And, you know, there's a point when they're hearing them, I'm like, okay, I, I, just, I would keep walking away. But here's what I know about them. I know when they would tell these dirty, off-color jokes, I could promise you I could tell you where their mind was dwelling. Because that's all they wanted to talk about. And see, our life bears evidence of where our mind is dwelling. So if you want to know what your thought pattern looks like, if you want to know where your mind is focused on, where your real focus is, just look at the life around you. Look at how you're living. Look at how you're making decisions. And Paul says, listen, if we're going to be able to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough, we've got to keep our hearts in check. And secondly, we've got to keep our minds in check. And then the third thing he says is found in verse 3 and verse 4. And it says this. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in 
glory. We need to not only keep our hearts in check, our minds in check, we need to keep our testimony in check. And here's what I mean. Our testimony, what Christ has done for us, needs to be the thing that we never forget. It needs to be the thing that's always on the forefront of our mind. Listen, we need to remember day after day after day, moment after moment after moment, how wretched we were and how good God is that he would save us and rescue us and that he loves us that much. We need to keep our testimony in check on the forefront of our minds. In fact, he says here, you, were, you have died. We've died. Now, what do we die to? When we said to Christ, what do we die to? We died to sin, didn't we? We died to the penalty of sin. We died to the payment of sin, and we died to the power of sin, right? Sin has no control over us. Jesus paid it in full, all of it, paid from one end to the other. It's paid in full. Jesus did that for us. We have died to the old sinful person. We've died to that old nature. We have died to that old self. We belong to the world above, don't we? We belong to, we are co-heirs with Jesus. Heaven is our home. He says, you've died to that sinful nature. He says, also, you are hidden with Christ in God. You're hidden with Christ in God. Now, this is not some mystical thing that, that Paul's talking about. Here's all it means. It means that Jesus, when he died on the cross, hear me on this. When he died on the cross, he took on the full wrath of God. He experienced no grace. He experienced no mercy. He experienced the total wrath, the payment of sin that all of us deserved to pay. Jesus took it all. Everybody say all. He took it all. The full wrath of God, Jesus took it. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are hidden with Christ in God, meaning that our lives rest in Jesus. We belong to him. So we've died to the old self. We belong to Christ. And then he says here at the end that we will share in his glory. He says, notice this, when Christ who is your life appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. That we will share in the glory that he has. One day we will too walk the streets of God. One day we too will be in heaven worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen, what Paul is trying to get this church to remember is, yes, you've got to keep your heart in check. Yes, you've got to keep your mind in check. But don't ever forget your story. Your story is you were lost, you're wretched, you're wicked, but Jesus loves you and he saved you and he rescued and you died to the old self and you're hidden in Christ and your future belongs with Jesus in heaven forever. And don't ever forget that. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, we talk about this all the time, but as a Christian, we too often get over our salvation. And Paul says, don't let your testimony get away from you. Don't ever forget it. So Paul reminds this church well, they've got to keep in check if they're going to embrace this truth that Jesus is enough. You've got to keep in check the heart. Where's your affections this morning? You've got to keep in check your mind. Where's your attention this morning? And you've got to keep in check your testimony. Have you forgotten the beautiful nature of what Jesus has done for you? Now, why is it so important for us to keep those things in check? Let me tell you why. For one reason is this. If we keep these things in check, first of all, it protects us from falling in love with this world. Are you hearing me? If we will keep our mind, our heart, and our testimony in check, it will keep us from falling in love with this world. It will also help us when difficult times come in our life because we will be viewing them through an eternal lens rather than just an immediate temporal lens. And also it will empower us to want to share the gospel because we are eternally minded now. We know that everybody, every single one of us, one day is going to step off into eternity. And where you want to spend eternity is your choice. But as a believer, it's my responsibility to tell as many people as I can so that maybe they can spend eternity with Christ in heaven. So keeping these things in check 
Men, they protect us, they help us, and ultimately they will empower us to share our faith. So I have two questions for you this morning. Here's the first one. Do you have a testimony? Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you know what? I don't have a story. I know that I blow it. I know that I mess up a lot. But there's never been a moment that I said yes to Christ. And I'm not talking about your story. If you've got a story that says, well, I grew up in the church, that doesn't work. Or, you know, my grandma, that doesn't work. Grandma taking church didn't work. I mean, has there ever been a moment when you realized the weight of your sin and knew that you needed a Savior and you said yes to Jesus? And maybe some of you don't have that testimony. Well, listen, it's not too late for you. Today, as we've talked about the love of Christ, what he was willing to do for you, you can have that testimony. All you've got to do is just surrender your life to him. And I challenge you to do this morning. But for those of us that do have that testimony, can I tell you what we're going to do today? We're going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate the testimony that we have in Christ. And the way we're going to celebrate it is by coming to the Lord's table. We're going to come to the Lord's table and we're going to celebrate the body that was beaten and the blood that was shed so that we might have eternal life. So here in just a moment, listen to me, church. Here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And after I'm praying, I'm going to ask Randy and the men, he's asking to help him to come grab the elements, and we're going to pass the elements out. And listen, just hold on to the elements, because we're going to take the supper together today. I know we typically don't do that, but we're going to take it together. But let me tell you what I want you to do. As you grab those elements, and as the elements are being passed, and as the music's playing, I want you to take a moment to do biblically what we're called to do, to remember and to examine. What I want you to examine, I want you to examine the condition of your heart this morning. Where are my affections? And maybe my job's got my affections. Maybe other things have got my loyalties and my devotions. And if you feel like that's you, would you just confess that to the Lord and, and make a new commitment to him? Would you, would, you, would you examine your heart? Would you examine your mind? Where is your focus right now? Are you eternally minded? Are you thinking about things that God wants you to think about? Is your mind in the gutter thinking about all the things the world has to offer you? Would you examine that and would you confess that before the Lord? And ask him to do work in your life. So believers, we're going to celebrate. But before we celebrate through taking the supper, I'm going to ask you, would you examine the heart? Would you examine the mind? Right now, let's just all pray together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just take a moment and let's just pray. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for this awesome moment that we have. I thank you for the privilege that we have to talk about what Jesus has done for us. To talk about his love, his grace, and how much he cares for us that he was willing to take on the full wrath. God, there, there is no movie, there is no words that can ever depict the magnitude of that moment. The moment when he looked to you, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A moment when the Trinity had a moment of split, when the Father looked away from the Son because he couldn't bear seeing him take on the weight of sin of the world. But a moment that Jesus was willing to take on for us. And God, so I, as I look at, think about the story of the cross, I'm reminded where your affections are. I'm reminded where your loyalty and your devotion is. It's to humanity. You love us. You care about us. I know where your thoughts are, Lord. It's humanity. That's why David says, who am I that you be mindful of me? And God, I thank you for that today. And I just pray as believers, Lord, in this moment, for those of us as we get ready to celebrate what you've done for us, that you would call us to examine our affections. Where have we given them away instead of giving them to you? That you would challenge us to, to examine our minds. When have we been focused on the things of the world rather than being focused on you? 
God, and before we take this supper, as we examine ourselves, may we just have a time of repentance of sin, confessing that sin to you, but renewing a commitment to giving you our affections, to seeking things above, to setting our minds on things above. God, will we do that? And then, Lord, I pray for that person who doesn't know you, that maybe today they would have a testimony. That maybe today is while everybody else is taking the Lord's Supper, they would just be able to sit there and go, yes, Jesus, today I ask you to be my boss and my master. Today I acknowledge my sinfulness. Today I surrender my life to you. God, I pray there would be somebody that would do that this morning. So God, I pray that you would just be in this holy moment, that you'd move through us, and that we would take some time to remember and to examine. For it's in your precious in your holy son's name we pray. Amen.